Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The NXT TakeOver Toronto and SummerSlam Pick'em contests are now open at WrestleRumble.com. A single entry is just $10 for each pick of 20 bucks gets you three entries, 30 bucks gets you five entries, which of course means more chances to win. The winners of each contest are the ones with the most points. You earn points by correctly picking the winners of the matches this weekend at NXT TakeOver Toronto and or WWE SummerSlam. Winners are announced by the end of SmackDown Live the Tuesday after SummerSlam. First place in the TakeOver Toronto Pick'em is an NXT Championship replica belt. First place in the SummerSlam Pick'em contest is $1,000 cold hard cash. Second and third place prizes in the SummerSlam contest are $100 each. For just $10, you can walk away with a hell of a lot more than that. It's fun to play. Get your entries in before it's too late. Head to WrestleRumble.com right now. SummerSlam is this Sunday from the Scotiabank Arena in Toronto, which means plenty of time for Vince McMahon to rip up the card and make a new one an hour before showtime. I'll be uh, going live on YouTube after the pay-per-view for a live stream review, as I've been doing the last few months. The show will be archived on the channel after the stream ends for those who cannot join live, although I hope you all can do so. Uh, either way, head over to YouTube.com slash The Monster, which, if you're listening to this right now, you may well be on the YouTube channel. So, if you are not already subscribed, uh, please hit the sub button. That way, when we go live, uh, or when a new video is posted, you will be alerted and get a notification. This is the first SummerSlam outside of Brooklyn in four years. And the first in Toronto since 2004 when Randy Orton won the World Heavyweight title from The Shadow. The kickoff show will again be two hours long, contrary to some reports that said it would be scaled back to an hour. It is not. It begins at 5 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. This is, I would say, one of the most oddly booked SummerSlam cards in history. Yeah, SummerSlam is traditionally a favorite event, or it used to be anyway, a favorite event of mine. This is back when the show had more of an identity. Uh, To me, a lot of these shows just sort of blend together. SummerSlam, Survivor Series, they don't have the same identity that they had, you know, 15, 20, 25 years ago. But some of my favorite events, you know, when I was first coming up as a wrestling fan, I have very fond memories of the, the early SummerSlam show, SummerSlam 89, and... 91, there's certain shows that stand out. 2002, I think a lot of people would say, may well be the best SummerSlam card top to bottom that they've ever done. So, you know, traditionally it is one of the uh, favorites of mine during the year. And I look at the build-up to this one, and I ask myself, you know, am I excited? It's just a very... There are some good matches on the card, but it's just a very weird feeling. You know, we have a show that as of right now, And this could change. In fact, I would be stunned if they do not add at least one tag team title match after I finish recording this. I'm recording this on Wednesday night. Uh, But as I record, 
we have a card with all singles matches. Not one tag team match, not one multi-person match, which makes me think, you know, Vince McMahon, he must be sick. Well, we know he's sick, but he must have like a, a fever or something. For him not to have any tag team or multi-person matches on the show, which is something I know they love so much. Not a single one on this card as of tonight. Uh, it's also weird, you know, when you consider that there is not one tag team championship match announced yet. And again, I, I really think they will announce at least one. But it just goes to show you, I mean, how inconsequential that they are. That they would wait until the last minute for what is usually one of their biggest shows of the year. I mean, this is SummerSlam. It's, it's not quite WrestleMania, but it's kind of, you know, a little behind Mania. You would think they would have this show mapped out week, weeks in advance. And it just seems like that is absolutely not the case at all this year. And it's just, you know, they they have three sets of tag team belts. They have the Raw tag team titles, the SmackDown tag team titles, and the women's tag team titles, which changed hands on Tuesday night. Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross uh, won the championships from the Iconics as part of a four-way, and they are now the new women's tag team champions. Three sets of tag team belts, and as of the Wednesday night before SummerSlam, we don't have a single championship match announced. There's no Drew McIntyre on the show. Again, unless they add something at the last minute, maybe with him and Cedric Alexander. Him and Cedric were scheduled to have a match on Monday night. They came out for it. Match never really got going. And Drew being left off is surprising to me because of how hard they've been pushing him, uh, at least for a while. You know, they had him aligned with Shane McMahon. He, he was wrestling Roman Reigns for months on end. And, of course, Shane McMahon has a match. Even Roman Reigns at this point doesn't have a match. Drew McIntyre doesn't have a match. But Shane McMahon, boy, this is a company that has their priorities in check. At least Shane O'Mac has a match here at SummerSlam. And no Roman Reigns. No Roman Reigns match. Now, nothing was announced at the end of SmackDown other than Buddy Murphy being attacked and coerced into revealing that he saw Eric Rowan walking away from the scene of the forklift attack last week. He fingered Eric Rowan. He didn't finger Daniel Bryan. He only said Rowan. Rowan was the only person he saw. And, of course, Buddy Murphy on SmackDown Tuesday night was just there to get beat up. He was roughed up by Roman Reigns. And there have been a lot of people since then who didn't like the segment, who said, oh, he's buried. Why are they burying Murphy? To that, I'm not saying you're wrong, but to that I would say this. Two things. Number one, and I've talked about this on my podcast. I'm sure a lot of other people have as well. Buddy Murphy is a very talented wrestler. I've watched him in NXT. I've watched him on 205 Live. Uh, he looks the part. You know, he, he, he is a quality talent who has not yet been given an opportunity on the main roster, even though he was called up to the main roster, what, how many months ago? Three months ago? Four months ago? He's made all of one appearance before this past week. This past week was number two. The one appearance he made on TV before this, he asked a question during a Shane McMahon town hall. Ooh. Wow, what an important role he has served on this show. And it sucks because, again, I he is one of those guys like Ali who I looked at when they were on 205 Live and I said, if there are any cruiserweights who I think have the ability to cross over and become, you know, the term big is relative, but become a big star on the main roster. Buddy Murphy is one of those people. And he has not yet been given the chance. On Tuesday night, 
he was in a position to be part of the final segment on the Go Home Show to SummerSlam. I'm not saying what they did with him was anything great, but the fact that he was even on television is progress, because you would never even know the guy existed before this week. That's number one. Number two, I'm going to jump in the Wayback Machine here for a second. I'm old enough to remember, I'm not old, but I'm old enough to remember the Mega Powers split back in 1989, where Randy Savage turned on Hulk Hogan, and he attacked him backstage. This was after Elizabeth took that big bump, and Hogan carried her to the back, and there was this whole confrontation in the back with Hogan and Savage. When Hogan went on the warpath at the end of that episode of, of the main event on NBC, he went looking for Savage, like a man possessed. He's in the hallways. Who were two of the guys that he ran into in that hallway and manhandled? Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. Bret Hart, part of the Hart Foundation at the time. Shawn Michaels, part of the Rockers. Actually, both teams were in the hallway. But Hogan grabbed Bret. He shook him up. Where's Randy? He grabbed Shawn, did the same thing. It's just one of those little stupid things that I remember I look back on now. Yeah, at the time, they were basically nobodies. And they went on to become two of the biggest stars in the company. And Hogan was, you know, roughing them up in the hallway like they were a bunch of jabrones. So you never know. You never know where some of these guys are going to end up. And look, Murphy could still be thrown into a match on Sunday. It could still be him and Roman Reigns. The card is still fluid. Nothing is off the table. Murphy even tweeted, he said, it was either earlier today or yesterday, he said, I came to SmackDown Live from 205 Live because I know I belonged in a ring. I don't care about who attacked Roman Reigns, but if he wants to put his hands on me again, I have no problem stepping in the ring with him anywhere and smile right in his face. Again, hashtag best kept secret. And in a lot of ways, he's he really is. He really is the, one of the best kept secrets on SmackDown. So, we'll see what happens. It is still possible he could be added to the card. PW Insider had a report on their website earlier today uh, saying the reason that there is not likely to be a match between Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan, the supposed attacker, although we don't know that for sure. Uh, But they kind of teased it at the end of SmackDown on Tuesday night, last night. Uh, But the reason that there is not likely to be a match between Roman and Bryan on Sunday is because they just feel they need more time to let the story play out. And they're not wrong. They're not wrong. And look, they could shoot an angle on Sunday. They could do an interview in the ring. Maybe Roman Reigns comes out. He calls out Daniel Bryan. He calls out Rowan to come on out. And and he wants to confront them face-to-face, find out if they were involved in the forklift stuff and the car stuff on Monday night. Yeah, you got to remember, they did a non-wrestling segment with Shawn Michaels and Chris Jericho at SummerSlam back in 2008. They were in the middle of their whole program. One of the best of that entire year, if not the best, maybe in the company that whole year. You know, some people might say Undertaker and Edge. It's a matter of opinion. But they had a segment. They didn't have a match at SummerSlam in 2008. That was the night that Jericho punched Shawn's wife in the mouth. So I'm fine with them doing, you know, an angle and not a match. We don't need 15 matches on the show on Sunday. We have enough matches as it is. And I'm sure there's going to be another one or two added before all is said and done. Do you really need 15, 16 matches on this show? 
And if that's the mentality, I agree. I agree with WWE. It's way too soon to do that match. We didn't we didn't get enough of the story at the end of SmackDown on Tuesday to necessitate a match so soon between Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan. But I just find it strange that they would leave off some of the names that they did. And it just feels in a lot of cases like, you know, they're just booking some of this stuff on the fly. I mean, how many weeks were they promoting Daniel Bryan who's going to come out and have some sort of career-altering announcement? Only to seemingly drop it. That's what it seems like to me. You know, I admit I wasn't paying too close attention to the announcers on Tuesday, but I didn't hear any mention of that whole storyline. If they did, it was brief. All of a sudden, Daniel Bryan is wrestling in the main event. It's him and Rowan against Xavier and Big E. It's like they just dropped the whole story. It's also two weeks in a row that Vince McMahon was said to have ripped up the script for SmackDown just a few hours before the show went on the air. And he decided to rewrite the entire thing. And it wasn't just The Observer that reported this. This was Pro Wrestling Sheet. This was Fightful.com. These are sources that I you know, find reliable for wrestling news. They all reported the same thing. Vince tore up the show two hours, three hours before showtime to rewrite the entire thing. Two weeks in a row. So we went from a planned Kofi Kingston main event against Andrade to Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods against Daniel Bryan and Rowan, except that they changed their mind again. And by they, I mean, well, you know who I mean. So it went, again, it changed, and it went from that to finally it was Big E and Xavier against Daniel Bryan and Rowan. And I look at this, and I read these stories. You know, the week before, supposedly, they were already on the air live, and they were still writing the show. They were still writing Hour 2 when Hour 1 was on the air. Yeah, I said last week, it's like Nitro Reborn. No wonder they put Eric Bischoff on the blue brand. <laughs> the blue brand. And I'm not even blaming Bischoff because, from all accounts, he doesn't have a whole lot of input so far into the creative end of it. But I just find it funny that they put Bischoff on SmackDown, and we're hearing stories like this because these are the exact same things that you used to hear about WCW back in the day, as dysfunctional as they became. And I hear these stories, and I just wonder how much of this is Fox willing to tolerate. If this man continues to pull this kind of nonsense in two months, do you think Fox wants to hear stories on the internet about Vince McMahon ripping up the show, their show that they paid all this money for, an hour before showtime, two hours before showtime, booking on the fly, no long-term planning in mind? you think that's the sort of thing that's going to make them feel real good about themselves, about this relationship? With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I mean, WWE is going to get their money no matter what. I don't think Fox can just pull out. I mean, they've got their deal. It's a done deal at this point. But I know if I worked for Fox and I heard stories like this, that wouldn't inspire a whole lot of confidence. And it seems to be reserved primarily to SmackDown. I don't hear these stories about Monday Night Raw. I've heard them the last two or three weeks about SmackDown. Why even have writers? If this man is going to just rip them up, rip up these scripts, and write it himself, why even employ writers? Why not just do it yourself? Now, is it a case where this guy is just a maniac? Or are these shows that we've seen the last two weeks really that much better than whatever was written down on paper? Is Vince our our savior? Are the shows, as they're originally conceived, so god-awful that he feels, well, goddamn, I can't put this on the air. And he feels like he's got to rewrite them to save the show. Is that what's going on here? Because if that's the case, that certainly doesn't speak very well to the people that he has writing the show for if the boss feels the need to rip up the script two weeks in a row i know if i handed work into my boss at my job and he ripped it up two weeks in a row i'd be pretty worried you know joe's another one samoa joe who doesn't have a match on sunday i thought he was great on raw this past monday the 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 fire the passion from that guy You know, I just wish it was a contagious disease that they could spread to the rest of the roster. But I was intrigued by what they did with him this week. He was calling out Roman Reigns on Monday night. He confronted him in the parking lot. They showed, you know, he showed concern when that car came out of nowhere and ran into Roman's car. Roman was getting out of his rental when this other vehicle slammed into his car. And Joe all of a sudden went from, I hate you, Roman, to get a medic. Stay down. Get a medic. Because that's how a human being would react. That's real human emotion. That's what I liked about that segment. I still think the whole thing is incredibly stupid. (laughs) You've got somebody running around trying to murder Roman Reigns. But I thought the way they played it off with Joe on Monday night was actually very well done. Then on Tuesday, Roman does the sit-down interview with last week's uh, sad tweet recipient on the sound off, Kayla Braxton. And Roman turns to face the camera, he looks directly into the camera, and he apologizes to Samoa Joe. He apologized for thinking that Joe had anything to do with the forklift attack on SmackDown the week before. And like a man, he apologized. So do we get some kind of new Samoan alliance? Between the two of them and Joe goes, you know, babyface. I mean, I'd be down for an alliance of of Roman Reigns and Samoa Joe and maybe the Usos if Jimmy Uso could get his shit together. Or maybe I'm way off. Maybe Joe is involved. Maybe Joe is trying to murder Roman Reigns, but he's not alone. Maybe he he acted with at least one other party. Maybe he did operate the forklift, but he let Daniel Bryan drive the car. And the two of them are in cahoots. It creates some 
interesting scenarios, potentially, for Samoa Joe. Although my fear is that Joe actually won't be involved in any of this going forward, and they don't have any real plan for him at all, which I think would be a crime. Samoa Joe needs to be featured in something big. He needs to be featured, if he's not going to be champion or anything, he needs to be featured in something big. He's too good of a performer, especially on the mic. You know, if they're going to do these silly skits and stuff, you want somebody in there who can make it believable? Samoa Joe is your guy. And I kind of feel like that apology that Roman gave him on Tuesday is not the end of, of Joe's involvement in this. So anyway, that's my thoughts on the whole Roman Reigns uh, nonsense. There is no Intercontinental Championship match scheduled at this point. This is after Ali pinned the champion a week ago. And then, of course, this week, Ali got pinned by Dolph Ziggler on Tuesday. So I don't know what the hell's going on with the IC title. Aleister Black and Sami Zayn were supposed to have a match at SummerSlam, but instead they did it on SmackDown, I assume because they realized they already had too many matches on this card. And uh, FYI, Aleister Black won with the Black Mask kick, as he, as he should have. So now that we got the uh, card that isn't out of the way, it is funny, I'm doing a SummerSlam predictions video, I just ran down the entire card that is not. <laughs> Let us get to the card that is. This is the card as it currently stands. Uh, we have Drew Gulak defending the Cruiserweight Championship against Oni Lorcan after Lorcan won a six-pack challenge on 205 Live last night over Arya Davari, Jack Gallagher, Akira Tozawa, and Tony Nese, and Kalisto. Uh, this is going to be physical, this is going to be stiff, and it should be one of the best matches of the night if they're given enough time. And I have Gulak retaining his championship. Dolph Ziggler will not be facing The Miz. Instead, he will, in fact, be wrestling Goldberg. And by wrestling, I mean probably being speared and jackhammered inside of 60 seconds. Uh, they teased a contract signing at the end of Raw with Ziggler and Miz. Shawn Michaels was out there for no purpose other than just to swerve all of us into thinking that Dolph would be wrestling him after Miz said that their match would be happening not at SummerSlam, but on Raw, next Monday night. Dolph then looked at Sean. Right? That was the next natural person to look at. And there was a buzz in the crowd. And, and this is the risky run because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who actually, for a moment there, got excited about seeing Shawn Michaels coming back again to wrestle Dolph Ziggler. And then Sean said, well, it's not me. That's when Goldberg's music hit. He marched down to the ring. Dolph bailed. And uh, Goldberg signed the contract. He told Ziggler he's next. It's a shot at redemption. That's what this is all about. It's a shot at redemption for Goldberg. And WWE is more than happy to have a name like Goldberg on the SummerSlam card this year. But it's, it's a shot at redemption for Goldberg after the debacle with The Undertaker in Saudi Arabia. I'm sure he did not want his career to end like that. He did not want to go out like that on such a... It, frankly, embarrassing note. Uh, and I'm not sure, frankly, his career is ending here either because Paul Heyman is said to be a very big fan of his. Goldberg even requested, if you remember, that Heyman be the one to induct him last year into the Hall of Fame. And in case you didn't know, Paul Heyman supposedly has a little bit of stroke. He's got a little bit of power now on Monday Night Raw. And I'm sure that he would love to use Bill Goldberg for a big match here and there. So I, I don't for a second believe that this is the last match that we'll ever see with Goldberg, but 
Undertaker had a good showing last month in that tag match at Extreme Rules. He got to wipe the slate clean, make people forget about what happened in Saudi Arabia. And now it's Goldberg's turn. And this is going to be his very first SummerSlam appearance since the Elimination Chamber match in 2003, which he should have won. He should have won the World Heavyweight Championship that night. He did not. He won it the month after, but not before Triple H bopped him in the head with a sledgehammer like an idiot. (laughs) Knocked him out. And uh, that would have been a hell of a finish, though. Had Goldberg followed through, because he had a lot of momentum in that match, and man, that would have been a huge moment had he won the championship that night, but it was not to be. I'll say this much. I will buy a fucking boat and rename this show The Solomonster Sails Off if Dolph Ziggler wins this match. There is no chance of Dolph Ziggler winning this match. Goldberg wins, and he does so easily. We have Bailey defending the SmackDown Women's Championship against Ember Moon. It's nice to see Ember in the championship picture, but they have done a god-awful job of making her feel like a viable challenger. Uh, in fact, they've gone out of their way, I think, to make her not feel special. It's almost like, let's see what we can do. We've already announced that this woman is going to get a championship match. Let's get everybody in a room and try to figure out all of the different ways that we can get people somehow less interested in seeing this woman challenge for the women's championship. It's almost to the point where it feels like she doesn't deserve to be in the match. Right? Three weeks ago, she did pin Charlotte. She pinned Charlotte Flair in a matter of seconds with a fluke roll-up, strictly because Bailey caused the distraction. Oh, wow. Hell of a win. It's like Hurricane rolling up the rock and pinning him on Raw back in, what year was that? 2003. What did that mean? It's a moment that people still remember, but it didn't mean shit for the guy's career. (laughs) So, that was three weeks ago. Two weeks ago, Ember ate the pin in a tag team match with Bayley against Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. Of all the people in that match, she had to be the one to eat the pin. Fast forward to this week, just last night, she wrestled Natty from Monday Night Raw because of the stupid wildcard rule. She wrestled Natalia for all of, what, two minutes? Before Natty locked her in the sharpshooter on the outside, had her screaming in agony, refusing to let go. Bailey had a rundown to save her. The challenger for the Raw Women's Championship made the challenger for the SmackDown Women's Championship feel less than. You should never do that. I expect Bailey to retain here. I'm picking Bailey to keep her championship, and I, I would not mind seeing Ember snap when this match is over. After all of this, after all the shit that's gone down these last few weeks, she loses, but she snaps. And she goes heel. They tried the same thing with Becky Lynch last year at SummerSlam, and It ended up turning her into the biggest baby face in the entire company. I'm not saying the same thing's going to happen here, but hey. What I say before, you never know. Ricochet challenges AJ Styles for the United States Championship. I have been enjoying seeing AJ as a heel again. He and the band are back together. Anderson and Gallows. Now they have the Raw Tag Team titles. AJ has the U.S. title. They've got all the gold. All the gold that doesn't mean much, but they've got all the gold. Which, of course, AJ took the championship from Ricochet last month 
at Extreme Rules. Now, what would I do? I would, I would keep the belt on AJ. I think because he just won it, and you know the whole OC. They just got back together. They have all the championships, and they haven't had them you know for very long. I would keep it on them a little bit longer, but. What do I think is going to happen? What am I predicting is going to happen? I think they switch the belt back to Ricochet. I think taking the championship off Ricochet in the first place was designed just to give him a big moment at SummerSlam and to get the belt right back on him. And that's what I think is going to happen here. So I'm picking Ricochet. And look, the reality is this. Does AJ Styles need the U.S. title? No, he doesn't. AJ Styles does not need the U.S. championship. I am just disappointed that they did not make this... And look, they're going to have a great match, I'm sure, no matter what. But I'm disappointed they didn't add the ladder match stipulation. Because there have been some classic ladder matches in SummerSlam history. And I think these two could have added another one to that list. But this should be up there with Gulak and uh, Lorcan as maybe the best match of the night. We have Finn Balor taking on Bray Wyatt in Wyatt's first match as The Fiend. Finally get our first look at The Fiend in action. I don't even think he's had any house show matches. I don't even know when the last time Bray Wyatt had a match, period. Unless he's been working out secretly at the uh, Performance Center. So the the reason I bring that up is because I'm still not sure if he's going to wear the mask when he wrestles. You know, if they're trying to keep the two personalities separate, if he's wrestling as The Fiend then it would make sense that he keeps the mask on. But I look at him wearing that mask, and I know Kane used to have a mask that had like a little slit, and I'm sure it wasn't the most comfortable thing, but he wrestled in it, and he, he was breathing just fine. But I look at him wearing this mask, and I'm like, that's got to be a bitch. If you're going to have to wrestle in that thing, to breathe in that thing. So I, I'm not 100% convinced he's actually going to keep the mask on, you know, when he wrestles. I'm not even sure how well he can see out of that thing. So does is it a case where he takes the mask off, but maybe underneath he's got some, you know, makeup on, like clown makeup or something? Yeah, that's my question. But there's been no mention in the buildup here of the demon. There's no indication that he's going to be, ha- you know, wearing the demon paint. Uh, is Balor on Sunday? Demon or no demon? Especially with Balor, we know he's going to be taking a couple of months off uh, based on the uh, reports that came out a few weeks ago. The only acceptable outcome here is Bray Wyatt straight up destroying this man and putting him down with the mandible claw. Yeah, he first used the claw a few weeks ago at Raw Reunion on Mick Foley. I wasn't sure at that point if that was just the Mick Foley thing. You know, he's using Foley's own move on him, one and done. Uh, But then we saw him use it again on Monday night. He used it on Kurt Angle. So that, I guess, the mandible claw now is going to be his move going forward. That now joins Sister Abigail as one of his signature moves. And you know what? To get that move over, you need to win with it. And that's what I expect to happen here. I think he's going to win. And I think he's going to win with the Mandible Claw. And I am looking at this match. This is a very important match. This is one of the most important matches on the card on Sunday. I am looking at this match as a total reset for Bray Wyatt. I have enjoyed the Firefly Funhouse skits. Although you can tell, you watch some of the newer ones, and you can tell that these were shot, you know, backstage uh, at a WWE show. These are not the original ones. They don't look as slick uh, and as nice as the original ones that were filmed. But I I enjoy the Firefly Funhouse stuff with the puppets and everything. Uh, I love the hell out of that mask. I've talked about that before. I love his new look. 
I think his matches also need to be different. He can't be doing the exact same things in his matches that he was doing before, so he's got to change that up. You know, they dropped the ball big time with Bray Wyatt, and I trace it all the way back to WrestleMania 30. I maintain that it goes all the way back five years to that loss to John Cena at WrestleMania 30. That loss never should have happened. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And then after that, it was up and down and up and down. And he was also plagued by some injuries. So it wasn't just WWE booking. Although I think that was the biggest thing that sabotaged him. He had some health problems. He got hurt. He was out. He missed time. So hopefully he can stay healthy. But this, to me, is a fresh start for Bray Wyatt. They could have a big star on their hands with this character if they protect it. And if they know what they're doing. That's a big if. So I think Balor gets a little bit of offense in. It's not a total squash. But this should be a pretty dominant first win for The Fiend. And when Balor comes back in two months or three months, if they want to rematch these guys at Survivor Series, you could do the Demon against The Fiend. And The Fiend should win again. Because that's how you keep the guy strong. It's a very simple formula. You keep winning. Winning cures all ills. Same thing in sports. You could have the shittiest team. Look at the Mets. Look at the New York Mets. The New York Mets have been a laughing stock for the majority of this season. Under 500, they would lose and lose. And the way they would lose, they would lose in spectacular fashion. All of a sudden, the last few weeks, they're the hottest team in baseball. They actually have a shot, potentially, to make the playoffs. Who would have thunk it? Who knew? And all it took was for them to start winning games. All Bray Wyatt has to do is the one thing he could not do before. The one thing they could never get right with this guy. He starts winning. And then, sky's the limit as far as this character goes. I still look at this character long term and maybe not even long term. I mean, the fans may turn him babyface a lot sooner. I see the future of this character as a babyface and not a heel. Uh, but I'll talk more about The Fiend when I get to uh, Kofi Kingston a little bit later on. Becky Lynch defends the Raw Women's Championship against Natalia in a submission match. We know they're in Canada, which is the only reason why Natalia is even in this match in the first place. It's, there's just nothing about her being in a championship match that excites me. You know, I said the same thing about Mia Yim. Mia Yim is challenging Shayna Baszler for the NXT Women's Championship at TakeOver on Saturday night. And I don't have anything against Mia Yim. I don't hate Mia Yim or anything like that. But Mia Yim challenging Shayna Baszler doesn't do much for me. Same thing can be said here for Natalia and Becky Lynch. And the idea of her being the one to take the championship away from Becky, I think that would be a huge mistake. Unless, here's the caveat, unless, 
And this would be a nice little swerve, I think, that I don't think anybody else has been talking about or predicting. Ronda Rousey. What if Ronda Rousey, who we were uh, positioned to think was best friends with Natty, right? They were going to do the split, supposedly, at one point. Uh, Jim the Anvil Neidhart passed away. The timing of it just didn't make sense. And so because of that, they never had Natty turn on Ronda. So in storyline, as far as we know, the two of them are still bosom buddies. They're still the best of friends. Now, Ronda hasn't been seen since WrestleMania. She had an injury, I think a wrist injury she had to have surgery for. And supposedly she wanted to start a family. I haven't heard any indication that that's happened. But what if all of that is just sort of a cover? She had the surgery and... Maybe she's planning on coming back a lot sooner than people think. And what if Rhonda is secretly ready to come back? And she makes a surprise appearance here in this match to help her friend win the championship from Becky Lynch as revenge for what happened at WrestleMania. Knocks her out. Natty puts her in the sharpshooter. Referee stops the match. Because she's unconscious. So Becky never taps. But she's passed out. Referee stops the match. Natty wins the championship. That keeps the Becky Ronda feud alive so that we can still get that singles match between them at some point. And so I, I think of that, and it's just an idea I was thinking of earlier. That to me is the only acceptable rationale for putting the championship on Natalia and then having Becky have to chase to get it back. Because look, there is something to be said for having the top babyface chase. Austin did it all the time during the Attitude Era. He would win the title, he would lose the title. Stone Cold didn't have very many lengthy title runs. Some people forget that. So I'm not saying there isn't a certain logic to having Becky be the one to chase, because after a while people can get kind of tired of seeing you hold the championship for so long. But I don't think Natty is the right person to do it unless there is some kind of tie-in with Ronda. And I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen. That's me fantasy booking this thing. If I'm being practical, (laughs) if I'm being more pragmatic here, uh, I think Becky retains. Becky is my pick to retain. She does so with the disarmor. Uh, On Monday, they had Becky team up with Charlotte uh, to take on Natty and Trish Stratus. I don't believe Trish ever tagged in. It ended with Natty refusing to break the sharpshooter on Becky. Becky was selling a knee injury. Yeah, by the way, I'm watching that and I'm saying to myself, you know, and I used to see Bret Hart use this move all the time, right? I've seen plenty of sharpshooters. Uh, I've been in the sharpshooter before. I put the sharpshooter on people. I, I abused my poor brother with it when we were growing up. I look at that move and I say to myself, you know, wouldn't it make more sense to sell a back injury with a sharpshooter? <laughs> Not your knee. I mean, I understand the knees are all wrapped up and everything, but like the few times that I found myself on the receiving end of a sharpshooter, it was my lower back because the SOB was pulling back on the hole too much. I mean, it it, it wreaks hell on your back. It just would seem to make more sense to me to sell the back than the knee. It's not like it's an Indian deathlock, but that's neither here nor there. So I expect Becky to be uh, selling the knee here for sympathy you know, how much is she going to get, though? You know, everyone's saying, oh, Canada, Canada, oh, Canada. I wonder about that crowd reaction. Everyone thinking that Natty is going to be some kind of, she's going to get like a Hogan pop when she comes out and Becky's going to be booed out of the building. 
I would think Natty is probably going to be mostly cheered, but I don't think Becky Lynch is going to walk out there and get, you know, HBK in Montreal heat or anything like that. So uh, I'm kind of curious to see what kind of reaction crowd-wise she gets, but I, I do think that uh, Canada or not, Becky is going to retain the championship. Speaking of Canadian heroes, Kevin Owens battles Shane McMahon in a match where if Owens loses, he must leave WWE. Owens tried to get Shane on SmackDown this week to agree that he too would leave WWE if he lost, but Shane is no dummy and he refused. Shane then uh, regaled us with all the different ways in which he could end Kevin's career on Sunday. Pinfall, submission, countout, disqualification. Elias attacked from behind, Owens fought him off, and he threw Shane over the announce desk. And he was going to uh, go after him when Elias recovered. They're up on the announce desk, and Owens gives him a stunner on top of the announce desk. Shockingly, the table did not break. So then Shane trips Owens. Owens uh, takes a back bump flat on the table. Shane overturns the table like he's uh, Ryback during the Nexus invasion. So you've got Owens on the ground. He's kind of buried underneath this table. And Shane puts a chair and you know by his, his head. And he drop kicks the chair in Kevin Owens' face. Because he's the best in the world. So that was the last image that we had on Tuesday night. Shane McMahon smacking Kevin Owens in the head. He was slapping him pretty good, too. He was paintbrushing him. And I'm going to vomit if Shane McMahon wins another match over a uh, top, well, kind of top babyface. They're sort of, they're definitely building Owens into a top babyface on SmackDown. Uh, but I will vomit if this man wins another pay-per-view match. Owens has to win. Owens is my pick to win. I'm predicting a, a Kevin Owens victory. But he's got to win. You know, if Shane wins, I'm sure it ends up being, a you know, like Owens in Ring of Honor when he was doing the whole angle with Jim Cornette. You know, he's trespassing. You're, you know, you're, supposed to, you're not supposed to be here and he shows up anyway. You know, but I feel like we've been there, done that. You know, like we, we've already seen this with Kevin Owens, no less. We've already seen this. There is no need to see Shane McMahon score yet another victory over his babyface opponent. Look at all the good that did for The Miz. This man is taking the stunner. He is going to lose. That is my prediction. And hopefully Shane will take a little bit of a break and give us uh, some room to breathe and Kevin Owens can move on to bigger and better things on the SmackDown brand. So Kevin Owens is my pick to win. And that leads us to another Canadian. Boy, there's a lot of Canucks here on the show. Trish Stratus returns for one more match against Charlotte Flair. We've already got Goldberg coming back on this show. You know, the, the returning legend, the returning Hall of Famer. There's two returning Hall of Famers on this show. One is Trish Stratus here in this match. And the other is Bill Goldberg. And in the Goldberg match, there is absolutely no doubt as to what the outcome is going to be. As I said, I will turn the show into the Solomonster sails off if Dolph Ziggler wins that match. So the outcome there is not in doubt. Here, to have Trish beat Charlotte, even though it is in Canada, would be a mistake. Charlotte should win. Charlotte will win. That is my prediction. 
Uh, although it should be more competitive than I'm sure Goldberg and Dolph is going to be. I don't want, you know, like that match, if it goes a minute, I'll be shocked. You know, hopefully these two women have time to go out there. And it's two very big names. You know, Charlotte is being positioned as, you know, the woman who's going to go on to become the greatest of all time. And in fact, sometimes they already call her the greatest of all time. And at one point, Trish was kind of looked at as as that in the women's division in WWE. You know, she was never the best women's wrestler in the world. But she improved a lot, and she went on to become one of the best in WWE. So this, you know, is a big attraction that you would hope they give enough time to. I think people would be disappointed if this match went three minutes. So unlike the Goldberg match, hopefully this one gets some length to it. Uh, But Trish had the perfect send-off. She got to go out in 2006, I think it was. In Toronto, in this very city, in her hometown, winning the women's championship in her final match, she got the fairy tale send off that very few people get. It's always, well, you're retiring or you're leaving the territory, you've got to do the job, you've got to do the honors, you've got to be the one looking up at the lights. She got to win the championship in her final match. So, she already had her big send-off. Trish does not have to win this match. She does not need this. Trish slapped her in in the face on SmackDown. Charlotte, that is. Uh, And that's how they left things in the build-up to this match. Charlotte's been going after her for being a mom, and she drives a minivan. But she loves talking about that minivan. I'd love to know what brand. Jeep Grand Cherokee. I mean, what kind of car is this woman driving? Charlotte, is she stalking her in the parking lot? She keeps talking about this minivan. But, you know, like her or not, Charlotte is your big female star of this current generation of women in WWE. That's how she's positioned. One of them. Yeah, obviously her and Becky. I'd like to say Sasha Banks and throw her on there if she ever decides to come back to work. But unlike the Goldberg match, where a guy like Dolph at this stage is not... He's not going anywhere. They're not building around somebody like Dolph Ziggler. You know, so you can beat him. It's fine. I wouldn't do that here. Now, could you pop the crowd with like a fluke roll up and have Trish win, but then immediately get beaten down? And then have somebody like Sasha run out to a big pop to make the save? Yeah, you could do that. It's an idea. But I think Charlotte wins. Because they have their narrative. She is going to be the greatest female performer of all time. She is going to be the greatest women's wrestler in this company, they will say, that ever lived. They already have the narrative set. It may be true, but the narrative, it is preordained. I would think they would want to give her a win over Trish Stratus to help pad her resume. And that's what I think happens here. Then we get to the two main events. I see some debate online about which match is going to go on last. To me, there's no debate. You look at how they've been treating these angles and storylines on TV. It's going to be the Universal Championship match that goes on last. That is the true main event in terms of how it's been positioned. But we have the WWE Championship first being defended. Kofi Kingston puts his title on the line against the Viper, Randy Orton. Randy Orton has been away on vacation with his wife. He has been posting on Twitter. 
He has been posting on Instagram. He is a very lucky man. In fact, there was a video he posted just a few days ago that went viral. I think ESPN tweeted it out of Orton on a beach. And he stands up and his wife comes from out of nowhere. uh, And she flies through the air and hits this picture-perfect RKO into, I guess, the ocean on her husband. And I, I watch that and I say, I think Randy Orton's wife should beat Kofi Kingston with an RKO like that to become the new champion. But Orton has not been around. He's been in the entire build-up to this match, aside from that, uh, the first week when Kofi handpicked Orton as his challenger. Kofi Kingston handpicked Randy Orton to be his challenger at SummerSlam. And that night, Orton came out. They had a face-to-face in the ring. Ever since then, Orton's been gone. He's been on vacation. We've had a series of video packages. I thought the Randy Orton video package two weeks ago was excellent. They had a similar one this week. They interviewed Kofi. Kofi talked about the match. He talked about uh, 10 years ago, their feud from 2009, and how he felt he was held down, and that was his chance to break out. Randy Orton took that chance. He took that opportunity away from him. He stole years away from his career. And I appreciate them doing something that they ordinarily do not do, which is there is a storyline consistency here that is very unlike WWE. They tend to ignore history, where they distort it and they twist it to suit their narrative here. The story they've been telling is, by all accounts, exactly the way it played out 10 years ago. Kofi was a star on the ascent. Who knows where he would have ended up, but he was on the ascent. I was in Madison Square Garden that night in New York, and he won the New York City crowd over when he did the boom drop on Randy Orton in the crowd. And you really had this feeling like this could be a breakout moment for this guy. He was jumping up on Orton's car and spray paint, or pouring paint, not spray painting, but pouring paint on it. It really felt like they were positioning him for something bigger and better, and it didn't happen. And they had that one match on TV where Kofi may have botched something, uh, at least in Orton's point of view, and Orton flipped out, and he called him stupid, and God only knows what he was saying about him backstage that night. I'm sure he was all wound up. And it really did kill whatever push Kofi was getting and momentum he had. It really killed him dead. So they've incorporated that now into the storyline. And I appreciate that. I appreciate the callback to 2009. But because of that, because the story, which is very much a real story, is that in many ways Randy Orton killed Kofi Kingston's push and derailed his momentum all those years ago. And fundamentally changed his career. I mean, look, Kofi ended up in a great spot. New Day has been the best thing to happen to those guys in their career. They've made a lot of money. Kofi Mania, he won the World Heavyweight Championship. So Kofi doesn't have any reason to look back and have all these regrets. He ended up in a great spot. But if the story they're telling is that here's this guy, this this stuck-up veteran who held this guy down and for a time basically stalled his career and ruined his career, Kofi has to win. It's the Booker T thing at WrestleMania 19 all over again with Triple H. People like you don't win world championships. People like you are here to entertain me. Like Kofi in the New Day. There are parallels here. I felt the same way about that match at WrestleMania 19. Okay, this is the story they're going to tell. Triple H is a raging racist asshole. Okay. As long as Booker T gets his comeuppance in the end and and good triumphs over evil, I can get behind that story. 
Except one pedigree later, the story was over. Sucks to be Booker T. In this case, Kofi, he's got to get the win. He's got to get his revenge. He's got to get that win back over Randy Orton for what happened all those many years ago. That's the story. For them to bring up all of that old stuff and for him to fall short and lose and have Randy Orton basically screw him again would be devastating. So I think Kofi Kingston is keeping the championship. I don't think they're quite done with him yet. Uh, I think he retains the title, but here's what I think. I think he retains the championship at SummerSlam. I, I could be wrong. This is the one match I kind of wa- I, I waffled on a little bit. Because I could see Randy Orton winning the title, and I kind of went back and forth, but I think Kofi's going to keep it. But I think only long enough to drop it October 4th on that first Fox show. When SmackDown moves to Fox, I could see them holding off, wanting to do a big championship match on that show, make a big splash in their debut, and doing a title change on that show. Question is, okay, let's say they do that. Well, who does he lose to? If he's not going to lose to Randy Orton at SummerSlam, then who is he going to drop the championship to on Fox? Is it going to be Orton then? Is it going to be... I mean, look at all the guys he's already beaten. Kevin Owens, Daniel Bryan, Dolph Ziggler, Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe would be a great choice to consider, but he's already been beaten. So I keep coming back to this one name. I look at these rosters, and who knows how the rosters are going to shake out if they're still going to be doing the wild card rule at the time. They are They are still. But I look at the names. Who could they put the championship on? Why not The Fiend? Why not Bray Wyatt? Want to get the guy over? And you may have people out there saying, oh, he's, he just came back. He's too new. Too new? Guy's been around for five years. People know who he is. Character's been tweaked. But it's not like we haven't seen this guy wrestle before. You want to get this guy over as a monster? You want to get heat on this guy? Because people still like Kofi. Have him beat Kofi and win the championship. That's one way to get the guy over. It's just a thought. And then we have Seth Rollins. I was going to say defending, but uh, he is in fact challenging for the Universal Championship against the champion Brock Lesnar. I watched that segment on Monday night. Seth Rollins the week before, we saw that vicious attack. Brock Lesnar beat the shit out of him and beat him down with a chair and F5'd him on top of the chair and he was bleeding from the mouth and he pulled him out of the ambulance and he gave him an F5 on the gurney. Normally, that's the sort of attack that would keep someone off TV for a few weeks. Seth Rollins, of course, was back on TV the following week because these people have no patience. So Seth Rollins comes out on Monday night, and he's limping to the ring. He's limping like he's got a stick shoved up his ass. And he comes down to the ring, and nothing to it. It played out exactly the way you would have expected it to. Brock Lesnar is in the ring, and Brock Lesnar beat the piss out of this guy. Hit an F5, hit more than one F5, left him laying. Like an idiot. Seth Rollins is a moron. That's the lesson I got out of it. And I don't want to hear, well, he's the babyface, so he's just being brave. Is it a prerequisite that all the babyfaces in WWE have to be fucking morons? Is that sort of, is that like in the contract? Is that in the fine print? 
This guy was practically maimed on television the week before. Somehow gets medically cleared in storyline. Is limping down to the... He can barely move. Clutching his ribs. Limping down to the ring by himself. And he gets beaten down again. Because he's an idiot. He's not brave. He's a fool. I don't cheer for fools. I can't get behind a fool. Seth Rollins, you know, he cuts this promo. I think it was supposed to be this impassioned promo. All I took away from that segment on Monday night was how quiet the crowd was when he was being beaten down. There was no heat for that segment at all. People were not booing Brock. They were indifferent towards the entire thing. That's not good when people are indifferent. They're supposed to be building sympathy for this guy. At least on Monday night. It failed. It did not work. Now when they're in Canada on Sunday, who the hell knows? Brock Lesnar could get a hero's welcome. Brock Lesnar, I don't know if he still is, but at some point, maybe he still is, he was living in Canada. <laughs> Brock Lesnar is a an honorary Canadian. I'm sure that's the fact that's not lost on the people of Toronto. For all we know, he can come out there and get a reaction like he's Trish Stratus. So it may be another bad night for all we know for Seth Rollins, but I watched that segment on Monday. No heat whatsoever. Rollins gets on the mic. He's cutting this promo. He's trying to get sympathy. You know, sometimes I wonder why I do what I do. And he says, you know, he guaranteed victory on Sunday. And in WWE, when you have a babyface who guarantees victory, uh, more often than not, they win. So I'm sticking with what my original prediction was anyway. Uh, which is that Seth Rollins is going to win back the Universal Championship. I think Brock Lesnar is dropping the belt, and I think they're going to put the championship back on Seth. So, that being said, I have to say this about Seth. Seth Rollins, for me, talented guy. I don't hate the guy. Very talented. But Seth Rollins has grown completely unlikable to me on television. That's not even factoring in the interviews that he's done, where he's had some questionable statements that he's made. He said some things that made sense, but he said other things that just make you just shake your head and wonder why they put this guy out there. You know, meanwhile, Roman Reigns goes out there and the way you know, he gives interviews and stuff, and you know he doesn't come off as embarrassingly as Seth Rollins has come off in some of these interviews. I'm not even thinking about that. I'm just watching this guy on TV. There is nothing likable about this guy at all. And programming him for how many matches that him and Baron Corbin have didn't do him any favors as champion. His run as Universal Champion, brief as it was, was a dud. It was a flop. So I'm not sure that his next run, if he wins the championship on Sunday, is going to be much different. But there's just something about this guy that has just turned him you know, into a, a personality that is just hell of a lot more unlikable than he was just a few months ago. But he guaranteed victory over Brock, and I have a feeling that he's going to walk away with the championship. Now, what that should be, it should be a warning to Brock Lesnar to wear a cup. Because if you remember at WrestleMania, the only reason that Seth Rollins won the championship was because he gave Brock Lesnar a low blow. He got hit in the dick. Brock Lesnar just never seems to learn his lesson. He didn't learn it with The Undertaker. 
And he probably hasn't learned it with Seth Rollins. AJ Styles never learned it. How many months did he work with Nakamura? He never learned it either. It's like these guys don't even know what a cup is. So I think Seth is going to retain, but I got to be on, and I can't even believe I'm saying this right now, because I was as sick as many of you were with the whole Brock Lesnar run, and I had about reached, you know, the end of my the end of my rope with that. But I sit here and I look at this card and I look at this match, and if you ask me, what outcome do you want? What outcome do you want to see on Sunday at SummerSlam? Even though I think he's going to win, the outcome that I want is for Seth Rollins to lose. I would love for Brock Lesnar to go out there and beat the shit out of him. John Cena style, from five years ago. Suplex him, throw him around, grab a chair, beat the shit out of this guy. And then pin him one, two, three. And I hate that I feel that way. But if I had to get behind somebody in this match, I'm getting behind Brock. I would love to be wrong in my prediction for this match. Then it just becomes an issue of, if you're not going to put the championship on Seth, who do you put it on? I haven't quite figured that part out yet, because you got to get the belt off Brock at some point. Uh, but as far as SummerSlam goes, yeah. I, I just can't find myself... I cannot find it within me to get excited about Seth Rollins winning back the Universal Championship, because his last run, his most recent run was completely uneventful and completely uninspiring. And there is absolutely nothing likable about this guy and his character at all. And maybe that's one of the biggest problems with WWE right now. How many characters, how many wrestlers do you look at and truly feel like you can get behind them, you like them, you want to see them win, they, they, you get excited when they're on television? You, you might have somebody like that. I don't know who that is anymore. That's been lost. I don't know that that person exists. Maybe The Fiend? But we haven't even seen him wrestle a match yet. I'm excited for that character. But I can't say that I have anybody like that that I can point to right now on WWE television. That's a problem. But I'd love to be able to latch on to that one person at least who I can say, this is a guy I can get behind. This is a guy who when they're on television, I, I sit up in my chair and I pay attention to what they're saying. I pay attention to their matches. I don't know on the main roster right now that that person exists. Follow along with me all the action this weekend on Twitter, at Solomonster, NXT TakeOver Toronto on Saturday night. Uh, episode 612 of the Sound Off will drop as usual Sunday afternoon on all the usual platforms. And I will see you back here late Sunday night once the SummerSlam pay-per-view goes off the air for a live review here on YouTube. Until then, take care, guys.